Welcome to Jews on Film. My name is Harry Adensasser. I am your favorite Jewish podcaster, or one of your favorite Jewish podcasters. Obviously, Daniel's here with me. We've met a couple in some previous episodes, but I'll uh, I'll stop rambling and introduce the aforementioned Daniel as my co-host. So, Daniel, introduce yourself again. I'm Daniel Zana, a documentary filmmaker and video editor, and still a Jew. And today we are joined by the beating heart of Northeast Jewish Seattle, Rachel Rosenfeld. Hi, Rachel. How's it going? Hi, it's going well. That's a very nice way to describe me. You know, nice imagery. Sure. I feel like you're the <laughs> share hard. of Seattle, right? You're going around helping others and I, making matches. I talk about Jewish Seattle all the time. So, right. So yeah. right Bringing now that is the community. Like, yeah. Setting up teachers, the community, cleaning up the beach. Yeah. Doing all sorts yeah. of selfless things. I, yeah, I love it. There you go. And even in like a more genuinely selfless way, you know, not quite like beginning of the movie share, I'd say like more, you know, less self-centered, more really, truly altruistic, I would say. Absolutely. And maybe I learned it from this movie. <laughs> exactly. And just to clue those who are listening in, we are talking about the film Clueless, which was released 25 years ago yesterday. We found out. So yesterday at the time of recording, who knows when we're going to At the time of recording. This. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Good point. Uh, the film was directed by Amy Heckerling, who is a director known for other films like Look Who's Talking, Look Who's Talking 2, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which is a big, you know, a big yes. film. I got to ask, Rachel, why did you pick this film? Honestly, years ago, I taught a class um, of high schoolers and we talked about Jewish films that weren't obviously Jewish. Mm -hmm. And we would watch pieces of them. That's like, that's the name of the game. That's the podcast. Yeah. I, right, was exactly. this I, on I, film I class? I Right. I was, you know, maybe I was your teacher and you didn't even, <laughs> exactly. and didn't even know it. Um, and this film did come up as that. And it, and it brought for me a, a lot of connection. I felt a lot of connection to this film, both in, you know, it's about high schoolers and one college age character. And I was a freshman in college when it came out, so I was close close to the movie age-wise when it first came out, so it was really a lot of connections to my past, and I like the, that it is not an overtly Jewish film with lots of Jewish connections and pieces in it. I mean, I think it's one of these blink and you miss it kind of things, but you also kind of really have to dig for it. So this is definitely going to be a stretch episode where you really pull apart scenes and find the Jewishness in it, but it's not overt, like you said. Harry, what's this, uh, what's this film about? Can you give us that IMDb summary? Yeah, sure. Let's jump right in with the summary. I, uh, I found a good one. Again, IMDb usually comes through. This time it was the second option, if anyone is, uh, is just wondering. But uh, if anyone wants to double check us, I guess. But uh, it reads, Cher, a high school student in Beverly Hills, must survive the ups and downs of adolescent life. Her external demeanor at first seems superficial, but rather it hides her wit, charm, and intelligence, which help her to deal with relationships, friends, family, school, and the all-important teenage social life. Wow. So already it's kind of, I don't know what our Jewish Bechdel test is, but like if the IMDb summary says something that about being Jewish, then it's already going to be that kind of episode, but it's going to be, a, like I mentioned, it might be a different kind of episode because we're not saying explicitly anything Jewish about it. Um, it doesn't mention her last name, 
Let's talk about that for a second. That's true. Yeah. Her last name is, uh, it's interesting because like we, it's, it's one of the Jewish identifiers about her. Her name is Cher Horowitz. But if one of you wants to tell the story about how that came to be, because I know that wasn't necessarily an intentional choice of the film, right? Is that correct, Rachel? From an article that I found that I had read before, actually from uh, 2018 in the Jewish forward, Amy Heckerling was making this case that she didn't intend for Cher to be a Jewish character. I actually think it'll be interesting to see what we talk about. I actually think we could make a case that maybe she didn't think she was intending to, but I actually think she was intending to in many ways. But when someone brought up the name in the article, um, she mentioned that Wallace Shawn was sort of ad-libbing names in a scene when he was taking attendance. And he was just kind of coming up with these funny names. Like there's a character named Travis Birkenstock, yeah, yeah. who's this kind of hippie skateboarder guy. Right, like, that. like. Probably that was ad lib too, I'm guessing. But he just sort of came up with Cher Horowitz and then they kind of, they liked it and they ran with it. Right. I mean, I think it would have to be really hard for them to not have made her a Jewish character. And I I feel like it's okay to get into it now. Like the whole notion of the Jewish American princess was like a concept for a long time, dating back to maybe the 50s or I've read an article maybe or earlier. No one knows exactly where it came from. But the idea of this Jewish American princess is this spoiled sort of daddy's girl who kind of gets everything that she wants. And that's in some regards, that's sort of what Cher is in the film. She has this huge palatial mansion that her, you know, her mom passes away. She lives with her dad, who's a very wealthy lawyer. He takes care of her every need. He teaches her that she should like negotiate on grades. She negotiates on <laughs> grades like her daddy tells her to. She calls him daddy. She asks him for all these things. And she really gets like a slap on the wrist for any infraction she does, even if it's like crashing into other cars and things like that. She never really gets in trouble. And so, yeah, I think it would be kind of hard for her to not be a Jewish American princess in this film. Yeah. And I like even just to pull back a little bit, because you talked about, you know, when I read the IMDb summary and, yeah. uh, you know, that like we, we have been paying attention now to when they put Jew in the summary when sure, it's clear sure, that sure. it's a Jewish film. And you pointed out that it's not there, but... There's clearly been a reception to this movie that sees the Jewishness. I mean, Rachel, you were telling us about an article you read from some Jewish website that was talking about it. And even, you know, the fact that the writer is being asked these questions about her intentionalities with the Jewishness of the character. It's born out of the reputation and just the reception that this movie's received of being such a Jewish film. You know, like uh, one of the questions I always consider was, am I reading this as Jewish because I'm watching it in anticipation of a podcast about Jewish films or (laughs) does it just bleed through the screen? And you know, I, I think that's something that we're going to go back and forth on. But I definitely right. think a lot of that. And like you're saying, the Jewish American princess stuff, I think that's that's there, whether, you know, whether the writer, I guess, intended it or or not. And I think even if she didn't intend it, it's still fair game for us to read this as the Jewish film that I would argue it is. Right. Amy Heckerling, what is Jewish, correct? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that there's three. There's both the actual words that they use. Um, Dion says Kfell at some point. I'm Kfelling. There's a few other words that are used in ways, um, there's ways that could be perceived as Jewish and there's a lot of inflection. Jewish inflection, maybe it's coming through from the Jewish actors, which there's a whole bunch of. There's a lot. A lot. Yeah, do you want to like... And and one more thing, just the, the other thing is maybe more complicated is the Jewish stereotypes. Uh, and there's yes. a ton of those that sure, we could also sure. talk about. But the, but, but the cast is a very Jewish cast. It's 
you know, you can't. Uh, I mean, Alicia Silverstone, her, yeah. her mom, I think, converted, it sounds yeah. like. But she was bat mitzvah. Her dad was Jewish. So she's Jewish. She's I, identified as a Jew. Paul Rudd, both both parents Jewish. Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn. Um, Dan Hadaya, Syrian Jew. Mm-hmm. I think one of the musicians in the Mighty Mighty Bostons is oh, Jewish. Oh, no way. Okay. They're in, the, they're in it, but most of them are. Not the lead singer. I mean, the Mighty Mighty Bostons also took me back to that sure, era. I absolutely. saw them, yeah, I saw yeah, them yeah. in Boston around that same time, uh-huh. like in the 90s. Some kind of street fair they were playing, you know, and ska. Ska was, really, was big. Like big this, was, this was a big genre I was about back to in the day. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> age myself, or I guess do the opposite, because this movie actually came out before I was born, and I saw that <laughs> band on screen, and I was like, "What was music like in the mid '90s? That was a little bit strange." And I felt uh, a little bit they weren't for the necess- era I was born in. Right? <laughs> they weren't necessarily representative of other music in the '90s, which is it why they were. But they were they like were cool. the ska band. Yeah, that they was were the moment. Broke yeah. Feels like it was yeah. a moment. There were a lot of other ska bands. I was. A big ska fan um, in California. There was lots of you know. Shout out to Re- Real Big Fish and Less Than Jake and Pie Taster. Or bands like Sublime, which really Sublime. like yeah, which yeah. very California and really blended all of those. Totally. a lot of those things. Yeah, yeah, and that so so having Mighty Mighty Boston's in this film was a very much of the time. Let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. And welcome back to Jews on Film. We're here with Rachel Rosenfeld discussing the film Clueless. So I wanted to ask, you know, what are your thoughts on the on the film at the beginning? You know, we start out, let's go through the plot. Let's hit a few of the major points. The film starts out, classic 90s soundtrack. I feel like in general, the whole soundtrack of the film is very of the time, very 90s. The beginning played out like a 90s music video, like zooming in, zooming out, stuttery camera effects, very like, and then it starts with like a voiceover. Okay, you're probably going, is this like an Oxima commercial or what? But seriously, I actually have a way normal life for a teenage girl. I mean, I get up, I brush my teeth, and I pick out my school clothes. I wanted to get your thoughts on like using Cher as like her voiceover as like a device to kind of drive the film. And it's like through her eyes. Any thoughts on like how that kind of shapes the way that the story is told. Yeah, I I actually thought a lot about that because there's a real tone to this movie that caught me off guard that I I would say I haven't seen a lot of movies that felt like this, where it's almost, I mean, she has this very bubbly voiceover and that's obviously a big part of her character, but there's this, there's almost this like detachment from the story. Like the story's never going to get really weighed down by sort of intense, like emotional moments. There's, there's like a lightness to it. Right. And it's, it starts there, but it's really carried through, you know, every sort of like major plot turn, she kind of just says like, oh, and then all of a sudden Ty stopped talking to me and that was weird and it's just right and the whole movie feels that way it's like almost like an ongoing you know music video type feel to it and you know i don't i don't know if that's just like my lens watching a movie that's a little bit dated but it didn't feel like that i've seen obviously many movies that came out from the 90s before and after that don't have this same sensibility and part of that i was wondering if it's just the movie is taking on the character like Cher's character and it's like if she's going to be this sort of you know, Jappy, not so concerned with, you know, most other things in life, kind of in her own head. She she always thinks everything she's doing to help other people is like the right thing and not right. recognizing the consequences. She doesn't see how clear it is. You know, we'll get to this. She's clueless almost. She, she's the clueless one. I think yeah. that's very, you know, that, that becomes very obvious throughout, right. but she just doesn't see like, it's very clear that like Ty is like clearly, you know, likes one person, but she's trying to set them up with someone else because she kind of has this perspective. And what I just thought from the voiceover and really the opening scenes of the movie, it definitely feels like tonally the movie matches that sensibility really well and kind of keeps up with it. And I don't know if that's, you know, there's a Jewishness to that if you want to try to work oh, okay. that in right away or if you just or if you just think that's 
you know, that's just part of the tone. That's what they're going with the movie. But uh, anyone else have some thoughts on that? Or is that just my observation? Well, I would just add to it that I think something that goes along with that is the kind of eye candy nature, like the colors right. over the top. It's, sure. it's, a, it's like an exaggeration. So the, their style sure. from the 90s in their style. Right. But it is it is clearly an, an exaggeration over the top, you know, which also could be like part of the Jap stereotype as well. Um, but and we're, just to be clear, we're talking about Jewish American princess. Yeah, 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 yeah. the okay. Jewish American princess, which is not something we, that is not something we, I don't hear people say that anymore, but it was a very commonly, right. in the 80s and 90s, people threw that word around all the time. Like that was, yeah. you know, in the in the communities that I was in and connected to, people referred to it both like positively and negatively. But I do think that the kind of that pop and the color um, go with that music video vibe and the drawing you in in this fun kind of keeping right. it fun and light sort of way no question just to check you two both had like computers that told you what to dress like in the morning yeah that, 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 right? that was just like my closet okay i, cool. like I, was I just wanted to check that we all had yeah. computer systems telling us how to get dressed uh, oh, for sure big old clunky computers yeah <laughs> exactly right not, not a laptop yeah i mean it's just it's just interesting the way that you know she picks up, Cher picks up her friend Dion, her best friend, uh, also from a huge house in Beverly Hills in her brand new Jeep. I think she's 16 years old, so she yes. barely has a learner's permit, doesn't know how to drive. And uh, yeah, they get up to hijinks, getting to school. I'm not sure if she has an accident on the way to school, but she clearly is running stop signs. She's getting tickets. That, Hitting you know, the curb, all those. She hits curbs, hits other car, cars. And like I said, it's just- It's all fun. Just, yeah, it's all fun. We brush it off. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. We're not going to get actual- The movie doesn't concern itself with the actual ramifications of some of this, you know- Nor does she. Nor does she. Exactly. <laughs> right. Like this immense property damage she's causing, among other issues. Yeah. So Cher arrives at school and she kind of goes through spelling out all the different groups. And she, you know, she talks about her friends and she introduces Dion's boyfriend, Murray, played by the great Donald Faison of Scrubs fame, wearing braces. Just just thought I'd call that out. And yeah, she, you know, she's at school. She gets her report card and that's sort of maybe the inciting incident to the film that sort of sets our plot in motion. And it's not a good report card. And, you know, as her dad, played by Dan Hedaya, the lawyer, tells her, that, you know, everything is negotiable. So she sets out and tries to right some wrongs here. Yeah, and she's successful for the most part. She ends up, you know, there's a whole montage of her just kind of convincing people to change her grades and give them, you know, what they want. But then the big, you know, the first dilemma shows up when she's like, she can't figure out what her teacher, Mr. Hall, wants, played by the great Wallace Shawn. And so then they realize, you know, someone says that he's just very lonely. So she says, great, if I can find him love, if I can play matchmaker, then, you know, he'll, he'll be happy and he'll change my grade. And this is also borne out a little bit of, you know, one thing we haven't mentioned, the inspiration for this film is Jane Austen's Emma, which... I'll admit I haven't read in full, so if I make what? any mistakes, I know. <laughs> so if there are any mistakes, if anyone's listening and wants to call me out, I'm, I'm acknowledging it off the bat. I haven't actually read it. All you but, Austin heads, please save your fan mail for <laughs> afterwards, okay? But but in the words of the movie, Cliff Notes explained to me that. Uh -huh. Oh, exactly, exactly. Good, 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 good. So from Cliff Notes, I was able to learn that, you know, the main character, Emma, she does a lot of matchmaking with the people uh -huh. around her. Right. And this kind of, you know, this fits in with Cher. She, she wants to be this sort of fixer. And she says, if I could just, you know, set up my teacher with some someone else and he'll be happy, I'll get a better grade. Right. So Cher tries to set up her teacher, uh, Mr. Hall, with Miss Geist, Miss, Miss Geist, um, who's kind of a frumpy, 
sort of clueless teacher. Can't, and they do the can't it, put the lipstick on the right. I look it's on, on her, her teeth. teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Like, <laughs> disheveled, but cares about the world and wants everyone to do good things. Yeah. But that was like a thing. I feel like in the '90s and early 2000s, like from Can't Hardly Wait, like that sort of notion that the hot girl is there. You just have to take off her glasses yes. and like fix her. Oh my hair. gosh! And so many movies. If you change her overalls into like a skimpy outfit, then <laughs> yeah. she was there all along. It's like, oh, it's definitely shares philosophy. With yeah. herself, with Ty, with everyone that she eventually kind of remodels. Yes. They all go through something similar like that. Yeah, it's it's interesting. And so th- she tries to set them up. And would you say that uh, she succeeds as initially? Yeah, like right off the bat. It kind of it, right away. It works perfectly. It's that same lightness of the movie. Like she has this big plan oh, and it works. You know, they fall in love. She gets an A minus instead of her. They don't, e- they don't even break up in the meantime. They're yeah, like, right. it's just completely. Yeah, there's no yeah. Uh, there's no tension yeah. with their relationship, which is great. And uh, and then we are introduced to a new student. Her name is Ty. She's played by the late uh, Brittany Murphy. And she comes in. I believe she's wearing flannel and corduroys, maybe with like a button up. And I'm not quite sure of her style, but it's definitely not what Cher is wearing, which is very preppy, fancy kind of stuff. And uh, Cher sees this, as you alluded to, Harry, as her next mission, her next thing to fix. Yeah. And then like, you know, very soon after we've been shown Cher as being this person who sets up her teacher, she kind of embraces this role as, you know, helping other people. And she she really wants to, you know, be this sort of fixer and a little bit controlling and just kind of like, you know, shape everyone the way that that works for her. And in between, we're introduced to her brothers, her character of her brother, played by Paul Rudd. And he's the first one to really call her out. And he's like, have you ever helped anyone that wasn't sort of for selfish motivation, like that you weren't just kind of doing to help yourself? That's why she helps Ty. It's because he calls her out, right? It's her stepbrother. Right. So that they were married, that her father was married very briefly to his mother. So they have this sort of sibling-like relationship um, in the beginning, uh, like playful and, and... Teasing in each other. Um, a lot of bickering, yeah. A lot of and fighting and, yeah, yeah. and disdain on both of their yeah. parts. But he's the one that kind of calls her out. Do you ever do anything yeah. you know, that's not completely self-centered? Right. Did you notice the Seattle shout out? Yes. Cher mentions, Cher yes. makes fun of him for wearing, for wearing flannel. flannel. So the flannel shirt deal, is that a nod to the crispy Seattle weather? Or are you just trying to stay warm in front of the refrigerator? Thank you, Cher. Yep. Appreciate yep. that shout out. And you know, and Paul Rudder then is framed as... Seattle in the 90s is like this grungy, also slightly emo-ish, grungy kind of yeah. kind of place. You know, the music and, he's and the flannel shirt and the... But also like very intellectual. intellectual he's reading and, a book. He's yes. learning about like current events going on on TV. Was he reading like Nietzsche? Like, something like very pretentious. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of books that I noticed <laughs> that like they show the cover very clearly. You know, maybe it's like a nod to the sort of Emma, you know like oh. influence uh. of this movie but I or it's just like the sort of superficial characters and all with their fancy bucks I mean everyone speaks also with a vocabulary especially Cher every once in a while will throw in some words that are just whatever you know, okay whatever <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly. yeah I definitely think the slang is very 90s I think someone talks about Ralphing which is barfing hmm. what else do they say I, I think the I inappropriate the, the non-PC thing oh sure yeah, yeah there's like, a few words here and there they do say the word PC and I couldn't remember if in 1995 we were already using the word PC, but I guess we were. Yeah. They said that if they call out that something is not PC to say or do. Right, right, right. Maybe, yeah. And someone says Audi, like I'm, I'm, there's a lot of Audi. Audi, yeah. bye, Audi. Yeah. Calif- and that was only in California. Which my right. subtitles every single time translated as like A-U-D-I. Yeah, like I think that's, uh, is that how it's used? <laughs> yeah. I just read it. I assumed it was like O-U-T-T-I-E, sort of like I'm Audi. But I guess it could also be a play off the car. Yeah, because it's LA, no. fancy. I don't know. No. <laughs> it's just Audi. <laughs> like, yeah. like it's fine. It might just it's like, be the, the subtitles. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. 
her brother, her stepbrother's Ben. No, what's his name? Josh. Josh. Josh, right. One of the most Jewish names out there, Josh. actually. Sure, there sure. Are more, sure. You walk in a room full of Jews and like there's got to be at least three people named Josh. Shout, so out, I think shout jo- out to my brother, Josh. Shout out to to your brother, Josh. Shout out to my brother, Josh. And my brother-in-law, Josh. So, shout yeah. out to the brothers, Josh. <laughs> shout out to all the Joshes listening. If you're not listening, you should be. Um, shout out to Orly. She wanted to shout out. Hi, Orly. Hope you're doing well. But I think, you know, Josh sort of challenging her and doubting her ability to be selfless kind of sets, again, sets the plot in motion and has her sort of rescue and save Ty, even though she seems fine, but Sherry decides to take her under her wing and make her like a Cher 2.0 or yeah. she becomes a Cher 2.0 she, eventually. She, she's fine, but she's fine from a different a different crowd, a different city, perhaps right. a different- Right, right, right. So know? she doesn't fit the sort of image that, you know, Cher has sort of created around herself. And yeah, it's, it's interesting, Cher, as she's giving Ty the tour of high school, that's when she says, oh, these are the Persians and these are the skaters and these are the, the jocks and this and that. She's kind of giving her the lay of the land. Uh, that's sort of where she sees Breckenmeyer's Birkenstock character. And she kind of, you know, has twinkly eyes for him, but it's not to be just then. Oh, and that's because Cher steps in and decides like Elton is the guy that you have right, to be. Right. I'm going to set you up with. And when you're watching it, it's already obvious, you know, clearly she likes Travis a little bit more or Ty clearly has feelings for Travis, but you know, Travis doesn't fit in with this image. He's one of those sort of like skater bros, like, you know, very laid back, definitely right. smoking a little bit of weed, like that kind of vibe. And a she, lot of weed, a lot of weed. He does quit it, it by the it, end of the it movie. Did remind right, me, right, it, it right, was right, the part right. that reminded me a little bit of, of, of Spicoli from Fast Times. Sure. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I found I was out like that. there's that character. Yeah. Right, once I found is. out she wrote yeah. both movies, it was very, it was she very didn't clearly. write, she didn't write Fast Times. Cameron Crowe wrote it, but she, but she directed it. She directed it. Okay. Gotcha. I love that sort of scene where like you have that slow-mo shot of the skaters kind of walking down and she's like, mm-hmm. why do they dress like this? And they're just dressing like, just like very, I mean, I don't know if even in the 90s people would dress like that, but maybe it's a bit of an exaggeration. I don't know. She tries to set her up with Elton played by Jeremy Sisto and kind of really forces it to, to somewhat of an uncomfortable degree. She's kind of making something happen. He's clearly not into her so much, but then she's kind of coaxing them along and it kind of and Ty somehow really thinks she falls for him another yeah. unrealistic kind <laughs> that, of yeah kind of uh, me with that. she was so emotionally you yeah know. it's a little um, manipulative and kind of weird yeah. and I thought maybe Cher could have cooled it a little bit on that one but she's still learning the boundaries of her matchmakingness I suppose she's 16 yeah I guess so that, <laughs> 16 that's all girl. you gotta say I guess yeah. you know yeah makes sense but I think that the point is that she, you know, she wants to do good. She saw right. that she was successful. She's been accused of being selfish or self-centered. Right. Right. And she and she does genuinely want to do something good. It's just not for the right reasons or the right or really a good goal. Like she's not she's not caring about the other person. She's still sort of caring about her own vision of what she thinks it's supposed to be, right. which I think was, you know, I think that's from Emma too. I mean, that that, uh, that kind of theme and the and the character that is accusing her of being right the paul rudd character in emma got it and does elton remind me does elton and Cher do they have any chemistry elton clearly 
had a thing for Sharon. Anytime you, you kind of, you know, read it into the movie, anytime sort of Sharon Tyre trying to interact with Elton and Elton seems interested, it's clear, it becomes clear that he's only really interested in Cher and uh. that, you know, they kind of mis, they, they misidentify it and Cher because she has this agenda of setting up Elton with Ty, she identifies it as, oh, look, he clearly likes you. He wants to dance with you, whatever. But right. then they all go to a party together and when they're on their way home, Cher tries to send Elton and Ty in the car together. Do you need a ride home? That'd be great. Thanks. No, I got her. Well, I'm right below Wilshire and Linden, so. Oh, that's right near me. I'm I'm above Olympic. Great. Then Ty, you'll go with Summer, and Cher, you'll come with me. Actually, you could take Wilshire to Cannon, and that turns into Benedict. Well, then she'd have to go back south, and I'm already going north. But you could take Ty on your way up to Sunset. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. I'd have to get off the freeway. I hate that. Hi, go with Summer, Cher, you'll come with me, watch your feet. Eventually it does end up that Elton and Cher are the ones together and not Ty. And when they're in the car together, that's when Elton basically makes a move on Cher and says, like, it's, it's, you know, it's so clear to me that you clearly like me and I clearly like you. And obviously, you know, Cher is completely caught off guard because that's not what she expected. She's dropped off in Sun Valley, which is... The, it's it's in North. I mean, that particular liquor store, Circus Liquors, is a famous liquor store in North Hollywood. Uh, so it's not Sun Valley. It's a little bit further out. But the way that they portray Valley, the Valley, I take issue with. I was I was wondering how we'll you felt that. about that. I mean, they're like the Valley. It's like they go to a party. Like later on, they go to a party in the Valley. Well, the I mean, the Valley element is that it's not L.A. Right, 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 right. What you well, the part that you were talking about, you just alluded to them being in the car together, and then he drops her off in the valley. That's post frat party. It's not a frat party. It's just a party. A house party. There's a frat party later. Right. The frat party with the mighty mighty Boston's is later. Right. Right. Okay. okay right. That's it, just post like high school house party okay, kind it. of thing. Classic Daniel gets lost in the flat. <laughs> <laughs> I know. We know where we clean it up. We we make you look good at the. I know. I know. And there's uh, got to be a thing about going to like a house party in the valley. I feel oh like that's man! Like every single movie. Yeah, I mean, I went to college in the valley, and so like it was like house party after house party. And you'd end up at like a friend of a friend's house, and you'd be like, "Who's the Who's the person? What? What am I doing here?" And it was always. Yeah, I love I th- that. The I feel like it's fairly says you accurate. You can get everywhere in LA in 20 minutes. Right. But the valley's not LA. That's the no. that's the point. No, like, no, yeah, exactly. Right, right, right. And and then she ends up getting she ends up getting uh, mugged basically. At gunpoint, yeah. On the street, left in, alone in the dangerous on the street. valley. Right. And the thing that she's most upset about is having to get down on the ground in her fancy yeah, dress. Get down on the ground, face down. Come on. Oh no. You don't understand. This is an alaya. And a what? It's like a totally important designer. And I will totally shoot you in the head. Get out. It's all totally born out of the character, but it's just the lightness in her reaction. Like she's mugged at gunpoint, and to her, it's just like just the coat. Like no, and she she does her like whiny voice, like no, like it's the coat. I'm, I'm not going to try to do it. It's another. a bit nasally. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. She exactly. registers higher. Yeah, than where right. you're currently at. Just pitch my voice up in the edit. I can Daniel. do that for sure. Yeah, I cannot do that. Paul <laughs> <laughs> Rudd comes and rescues her from the parking right, lot, okay. and that's the first moment that they have a little bit of chemistry. But is that when he rescues her with the girl with his with girl the with the girl he's dating? But then, but then the girl like calls out Cher for something and Cher like corrects her. The girl quotes Ham- quotes Hamlet, but she quotes oh. it as Hamlet, and Cher is like, Hamlet didn't say that. This other guy said it because I remember remember because of Mel Gibson. So just showing it's sort of a, it's it's like showing and and Paul Rudd's character Josh smiles a little bit uh-huh. because it's her showing that even though she's looking at things in a different way, right? Um, without that same kind of 
like academic lens, she's smart. <laughs> you know, she's right. making these connections and she's Despite what remembering we may think. these yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is interesting. And sure. she sees him kiss. She sees him kiss the girl. Like he walks. What is her reaction back. initially when she when when she sees Josh kiss uh, the girl? Is she? She doesn't have a reaction of like it's not like she's jealous, right? But it's almost like seeing Josh a little bit differently. Like maybe right. the first step. Uh, I mean, I obviously they showed us that for a reason. I was right. going to say, I think that it's it's her first sort of Josh is looking at her differently so that, you know, she like you get it from his side before I guess we start to see it from hers. But I think sure. her reaction is more she kind of realizes that's what she's looking for, that she wants a relationship because that transitioned us out of like, I'm going to be the matchmaker for other people into, you know, maybe I can set? help myself. And, that's, right. and that sets up a scene later when she's in school and in one of the you know upcoming scenes where this new person, Christian, walks in and the way she's staring at him, you, you I at least half expected her to say, maybe let's set up Ty with this person. You know, if Elton right, didn't right, work right. out. But then she makes a comment like, you know what, maybe I can help myself a little bit right. and, you know, choose like, to like set myself up with him. And that kind of starts her relationship with, with Christian. I love his pickup line, by the way. Nice stems. <laughs> he has a lot of really good lines. He does. I think, Great yeah. Character. Well, he also, it's also like just, it's, it's right after, she, he walks in right after that scene with the guys with the hanging pants and she's like, why right. would anyone date right. them? Right. How could anyone? Sure. And then he walks in all Leaning like old on the Hollywood door style. Yeah. yeah. And she's like, wow. That style. You yeah, know? exactly. That's what she's been looking for. And I think it's after this that the voiceover starts and she says, you know, she should start. Uh, she starts sending flowers and chocolate to herself in the classroom, which yes, is that's a move, which is kind of funny to like make him jealous. And everyone is you know, sharing Showing in her chocolate. skin because right. it reminds me of nakedness. Right. <laughs> and, yeah. and something about her hair. She just has like a whole. Right, she's like, draw, draw their attention to your mouth. So she starts like eating yes. chocolate very slowly uh, yeah, yeah, in class yeah, yeah. and like putting a pen in her mouth. Right. And then she starts to embark on a relationship with Christian. They hang out together. A great scene yeah. when he's like, Josh is like, I'm just going to go after them. I'm going to go after them to the party because she sees this is when he sees her. She comes down to go to the party wearing this white slip dress. Uh-huh. Basically, the dad's like, you're in your underpants. But <laughs> the dad, dad wasn't right? looking because he was busy working. Right. Josh is helping the dad work because he's like, oh, that's right. You know, intern lawyer. And the another and Jewish thing. But another anyway. Jewish thing. He's going to follow in his stepfather's Step- footsteps yeah. and be a lawyer. Um, but maybe environmental law because he lives in Seattle and reads Nietzsche. <laughs> so but he says, he says, you're going to let her go out like that? You know, and Mel looks and he's like, go put something. And she puts on a sheer little jacket that as doesn't if that's do gonna anything, help yeah which yeah. comes off as soon as she gets to the party <laughs> right, yes, right, right, right. Yes. and they go out again the little car the, his little cute car and shares like so happy and josh oh the yellow car right yeah, yeah, yeah. total classic again classic hollywood kind of throwback to a different era but josh is can't focus you know on the work and he's like he's like i'm gonna just go and make sure that she's all right i'm gonna go and it's, apparently it's a frat party that she's references that it's friends of josh that, that are having this party right right and Dan Hedaya's character does this great where he's like, go to your party, go to your party. And then he kind of smiles like he, he's he's letting us know that he's he knows, in yeah, he knows what's on going what's on. going on uh-huh. between them and that he that he's happy about. Right. It, you know, I and love that part. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, it's 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 interesting. This party is like we said, very much of the 90s kind of a lot of people doing some sky dancing. Apparently, because the scene was the shoot was like super long. A lot of people, I think the Bostones over the course of the of the shoot, it's like an all day shoot. They started just like drinking a lot of vodka 
and got really drunk by the end of it. That's what I've read online. But their performances came through really well. Josh comes to rescue or comes to to, to see what's going on with uh, Cher at the party because she's with Christian. And, and, you know, Josh feels a little not threatened, but he just wants to make sure she's OK. Gets to the party. He dances with Ty. You know, and that's also when Cher is for the first time. She's like, oh, that's so sweet of him. Like, he's really, he came here just to make Ty not feel as alone. And part of me at that point was wondering if Josh and Ty were also just like, because they, right. they had good chemistry every sure. time Ty came over. Josh yeah. was always talking to her. So I don't think it was a purely sort of selfless taking care. I think he also was enjoying dancing with Ty. Sure. But Cher, for the first time, is like, oh, he's really sweet. And, and it's almost like she's understanding what he meant by, you know, being selfless and not fully self-centered. And all of a sudden it's like, oh. I see how Josh is actually a very sweet guy. Right. And I think at some point there's a quick conversation that Cher and Josh have that make it clear that the person he was kissing in the car the other day is no longer in the picture. So he's now clear right. to move on to Ty. And it's almost like whenever each one sees the other with someone else or pictures them with someone else, it's when that sort of like romantic moment happens. That's also like a classic 90s, sure. you know, the classic mm. 90s thing. It's like, oh, this girl's with my best friend. I didn't realize she was in front of me all along right. kind of thing. You know, that's a classic trope, but yeah. Yeah, like we're sort of led, we're sort of like, it is that little question mark. I'm like, oh, is he maybe interested in Ty? Right. But, but also I think it's because it's so superficial in so many of those ways, I think most of us watching it were like, that's not what's happening. No, no, no. <laughs> so after hanging out at the Mighty Mighty Boston's frat party, Christian goes over to Cher's house. They have a, a date night, so to speak. Uh, Christian brings over some movies and they watch some films. Cher figures that this is this is when it's going to happen. And so she starts playing footsie with Christian. He kind of uh, looks at her a little bit quizzically. And then I feel like this was such a great, almost like a Streisand-esque moment where she's trying to be very <laughs> sexy and seductive and she just like falls over the bed. To, yeah. And then... At, at this point, Christian is like a little bit uh, uncomfortable and decides to leave. I think it's in the subsequent scene that we then find yeah. out from Murray, Dion's boyfriend, that he's that he is gay. But it's interesting the way that they handle that. That Christian's gay. Yeah, that Christian is gay. And I wanted to get your thoughts on that. Being that it was the 90s, and, you know, certainly being gay is, is a thing that's been around for a long time. But in the 90s, I think the way that they handled it in this film was kind of... I felt like it was it didn't do it justice. You know, I feel like maybe Christian could have been like a more out character as opposed to just like, oh, he likes shopping and he's like very sassy and whatever. And yeah. flirting you know. with guys, sort of, you know, talking to guys in ways yeah. that are like. Yeah, yeah, a little bit more deeply than yeah, uh, the yeah, other more guys. Deeply. There was, there's a line at like the earlier party when they're all there and she's like, you know, she's, uh, Cher is talking about how great Christian is. He's like, I mean, look how he ignores every other girl. Like you said, <laughs> right. like talking to the bartender. <laughs> exactly, like, right. Bartender. But yeah, I, I think they definitely devolved to some sort of light tropes. You know, the, the fact sure. that like the second she finds out he's gay, the next scene she says, you know, it's great. He became an amazing shopping buddy. Right. It was a little <laughs> bit like that's obviously not a fully realized character. Sure. But it, it wasn't, I didn't find it to be so harmful. Like it wasn't so. It wasn't offensive. No, it wasn't offensive. No, no, no. But I felt like in that moment, I feel like when Christian was leaving Cher's house, he could have just turned to her and said, you know, Let's just be friends. I'm actually gay or some sort of like right. nice sort of come from him as opposed to some gossip where his where Murray is calling him a cake boy. I feel like that's, yeah. He's you not know, out yeah. in the way that we expect now. Sure. A movie made in 2022. Sure. Those the those characters would be openly out. Sure. Like it would have even come up. You yeah. know. Yeah. And you wouldn't have to do this sort of whole. Oops, he's gay. He's not, <laughs> not actually <laughs> eligible for you. Right. Like, as you said, Harry, Cher then very quickly switches gears yet again 
to going from pursuing Christian to then going shopping with Christian. And she sees Ty at the mall hanging out with two boys, different boys. And she's sitting very precariously as a dad. I was very nervous watching her sitting on the ledge of the Westwood Westside Pavilion mall in 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 uh westwood and uh, you even knew which mall it was i mean they did show the sign but i have been to that mall before not my favorite mall i'm more of a fashion square or sherman oaks galleria for the um, record but okay. for the record let, the, know? let okay. the record state um a valley boy forever 818 <laughs> she's like sitting on the ledge and then all of a sudden they're like flipping her over yeah like teasing her kind of like they're her gonna the throw edge. her off the edge it's and then so Christian goes over very assertively, you know, tells them to knock it off and, and rescues Ty, which I thought was a mensch move. Uh, yeah, definitely was a mensch move. Thanks for working some of the Jewishness. And I know we're getting <laughs> I'm lost just trying. I know. No, we spent some time going through the plot, which is fun. But, you know, this is a plot a little bit devoid of Jewishness. And don't worry, we've got some plenty of Jewish content waiting sort of towards the end of this podcast that we're going to, you know, bring back in because there's a lot more to say about that. But yeah, he, he definitely is a mensch like character. I think that's a, a fair, a fair whatever read of him after Christian rescues Ty from this sort of near accident at school Ty then becomes sort of very of the moment at high school people want to talk to her about this event and people are saying oh I heard someone tried to do this or that to you and so Ty is holding court where Cher used to be the one holding court with all of her friends and, and Dion is ask is talking to Ty about sex because now she and Murray have gone forward in their relationship and Ty's the more experienced one. So there's all these like things where she, you know, Ty is holding court of that way too. She's knowledgeable and mature and sort of when before she was like really the lost clueless one. Right, right. Yeah, there's a little bit of a like a role reversal that sets up that, you know, iconic scene later when Ty is talking to Cher and they have a really big fight over because Ty mentions that she's interested in Josh and Cher kind of says, I don't think it works. No, no, no. It might not fit. And, you know, it's it's kind of clear from us watching that there's coming from a place of Cher clearly likes Josh. But, you know, she's trying to come up with reasons for Ty and Ty, you know, shows a lot of her insecurities and is like, you know, why? You don't think I'm like smart enough for him? Is that what it is? And like, she's like, no, it, I promise it's not that. But it's like clear she doesn't want to say that she likes Josh. And then the reason I reference this is because it sets up the great line that Ty then says to Cher where she says, you're a virgin who can't drive. And she kind of like Oof. puts her down but again it, it puts her in this like very clueless perspective all of a sudden everyone has matured so to speak you know as they're entering the sort of college years and she is you know she's still a little bit too in her own head and a little bit too clueless share that that is and she her. couldn't talk her way out of failing the driving right, the driving yes, test. right. and the driving teacher is another jew oh is it she tries to get she has gotten a few tickets and then is trying to go for her license oh, because she had Orbach, Jerry Orbach, Jerry Orbach, who actually I looked this up is not halakhically Jewish oh, and okay. not actually identified as a Jew. Interesting. Even his father is Jewish, but but ah. but this is his cousin. Hmm. Oh, so it's great fun fact. Dancing. So fun fact. There and, you go. And he also had a very Jewish demeanor. Oh yeah, like his whole drivers, you know, right? Like little we driving. Did a whole dirty dancing all about that about Jerry Orbach. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Oh, there you yeah. go. And he was also in Mr. Saturday Night. Well, right. this is Jerry Orbach's uh, cousin. Cousin. Great. <laughs> okay, sure. It's like a family reunion, sort of. You know. Anyway, so yeah. so the Ty kind of puts Cher in her place and she calls her a virgin who doesn't know how to drive. And Cher at this point, starting from the driving part and through that scene, is and even from before that, when she's watching Ty do all of these things, she's just she's much quieter. Mm -hmm. She's not wearing as bright, loud clothes. Uh -huh. She doesn't have as much makeup on. Interesting. She's like a very, she, it's like she even 
her demeanor has shifted a little bit. I think maybe this is like a turning point for her where she realizes, oh, you know, maybe I'm not the person I always thought I was. And, and maybe it's time for me to do something really from a selfless perspective. And I think this is maybe when the opportunity arises for her to do some work in the greater community as opposed to just for herself or her friends. Yeah, it's definitely like a shedding of her character, her persona from the beginning. I read right. when I was like doing some research on the Jewishness of this film and like the origins of Jap, and I found this one article, Jap as a reminder, Jewish American princess. Thank you. Explain that in a minute. But what I read was that there was this art, there's this website, TV Tropes, that goes through a lot of these tropes, and they were talking about it, and I, I clicked down to examples. I'm like, Cher has to be here. And she was, but I think it reads that she is, it says, you know, Cher in the first half of Clueless, is a Jap kind of thing because, you know, obviously she sheds that character, you know, as the movie goes on. And as we get to this point at the end when she becomes, you know, finally selfless for the right reasons, right. you know, in, in taking on this project. And the project question is, I think one of her teachers talks about a Pismo Beach cleanup effort, you know, to raise money because I think there was some flooding. Yeah, which we had seen on the news in an earlier scene when Josh is watching the news. So right. it's kind of called back to. Right. And and so she organizes this. They manage to raise a lot of a lot of funds, a lot of people donating stuff. Cher has a great line where she goes to her dad. Dad, you didn't like the red caviar, right? And then she's like grabbing the caviar <laughs> and the crackers and the skis and the tennis. Well, you know, they need sporting equipment. So I think, you know, just very like mixing a little bit of the old Cher and the new Cher. But I think it's really she gets a lot of satisfaction from like helping others um, in, a, in a truly selfless way. And, and I think Ty sort of eventually kind of cools off, you know, and they sort of make up. Right. They make up. And then, you know, obviously Sharon and Josh finally have that big moment where they, you know, uh, whatever, uh, announce their feelings to each other. Yeah. And I think Cher comes down and she tries to like help out with her dad. Her dad's a litigator. They talk about how it's like the more important kind of lawyer or the more vicious kind of lawyer. Scary. And so, the scary kind of lawyer. And then she talks to the other lawyer who's sitting in, in his kitchen and she makes a mistake. And the lawyer, the partner of, of Dan Hadaya, gets really upset and leaves. And it's at this point that Josh sort of sticks up for her. He gets really mad at Cher. Josh sticks up for her. And he, he just, he's like, forget it. I'm leaving. I'm out of here. He opens the door. And what's on the doorpost? It's a mezuzah. Yeah. Just saying. We could save that for the end, but I just wanted to point that out. And it was there in other scenes too. Once you, oh, nice. once you pointed it out, every time they opened the door. Boom. It wasn't just that one time. Oh, nice. That's good. They kept it <laughs> they there. Kept it. Yeah. But I think it's that, It's a, isn't that one of the turning points? Like that's sort of the moment where he realizes, oh, Cher, you know, you've been here all along and, and that's sort of where they connect. Yeah. She had that moment where she realized... Right. Was she had the montage about Josh? Yeah, this was, yeah. She went when she was she was she was going. It's not a very long movie, but there was still a montage from the beginning <laughs> exactly. of the movie yeah. of all the moments. I think they need the montage because they had to kind of sell you on it. Because uh, this this actually I, I read what did come from Emma from the original source oh, text. Okay. That they do fall in love, you know, with the brother. But I think in Emma, the way that I read it, and again, I hope you know if someone has read the actual Emma text in full and will correct me, fine. But from the description, it sounds like this brother that you know Emma kind of you know comes into a relationship with is someone that she had never met until the beginning of the novel, and they kind of like come into each other's lives and they like come together. I think with Paul Rudd's character, not only do they establish at the beginning of the movie, they have this real like sibling rapport. You know, they're very like nagging on each other, fighting over the TV remote. But I think they had met in the past because, you know, they're like still step siblings and they had like a relationship. So I think this sudden twist just because of the way that they acted in those earlier scenes comes as a little bit surprising and almost a yep. little off-putting. I think I'm yep. not, from what I read, I'm not the only one who felt that way. Sure. But I get why they threw in the montage there to say, look, see, we, we kind of have they been building They did love that. each other. Yeah. And he is, she is 16. 
Yeah, and right. he's how I mean, established that he he's might older. just be 18 or 19. He's came back from Seattle. He's going to college. Oh, he's going to college. He's in college. He's in college. He's so in college. He's, so he, let's say minimum, he's a freshman. So what's that? Minimum 18? 18 or 19. Still. It's a little, a little iffy. In the, I mean, yeah. she's not like 17 going on 18. She's, she's 16. 16. Yeah. So it's still so, questionable. And they're kissing. It was, the, it was the 90s still. So maybe that was, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. There were things. I mean, we're, we're in a totally different place with stuff like that now than we For were sure. in the 90s. Right. Like the things that we just didn't even think about about right tons and tons of stuff like that i mean there's yeah. the age difference but then there's also like the relationship it's yeah right. it's a little strange yeah. and like what happens but he's is like paul rudd so he is very good looking <laughs> he's for sure. since, since that movie came out also. yeah for sure <laughs> you know i'll have what he's having um but yeah i mean i'm wondering like what happens we always like to hypothesize about like what clueless 2 looks like like do Cher and josh stay together you know, she she teases that. She teases it at the end of the movie because okay. then she comes in with the voiceover and then she says, and you know what happened next? And they cut to like a wedding scene. Right. And then it's like, Fake oh, out. I guess they got married. Right. And then she says, I'm just kidding. Like, I'm 16. Like, that wasn't me. And then you see it's Miss Geis and uh, Mr. Hall from the beginning of the movie who are having that Mazel wedding. Tov, and exactly. And Josh and Sharon, all of our characters are in attendance and all of them have their new And the boys are all friends. The uh, Travis and Murray and, yeah. and, and yeah, all uh, the goofballs Josh are, are yeah. all like best buds. Now. Exactly, yeah. and all the women are together trying to catch the bouquet that yeah. you know Miss Geist throws back, and there's this just nice. Scene I think Cher all. catches it, right? She does. Yes. She like fights people for it. it's like you're 16. <laughs> what are you doing? Well Josh, well, Josh tells him tells her that he has a wager. He's like up to two hundred dollars on this. Like you have to get it, and she's like, I got you, and then goes in and gets the it. The money motivated her. So exactly. like, yeah, I guess what <laughs> what do we see for this relationship? Does Cher move back to Seattle? Does she? Working a startup in does she found a startup like does Josh move back to L.A. and become a producer like what's the deal? My biggest concern was just for their father who now has to reckon with like they're technically not blood related fine but it's his children are in a relationship. He's happy about it. That smile seems it. He He was happy. He he started spec. He's Josh goes into goes into. Yeah, it becomes the part goes into the law firm with the with with Mel or whatever his name is and right and. You know, all his kids living under one roof and yeah, his son, <laughs> son, son and son in law or work, your stepson, you know. whatever. It's a weird way to end the Jews movie. Jews used to do that. True, 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 true. It's <laughs> a Jewish element. So that was our summary of Clueless. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to this week's episode of Jews on Film, where we're discussing Clueless. So we just went through the plot a little bit, and I want to unpack some of the Jewishness. Because, Let's do it. You know, I pointed this out as we were going through the plot. It's a little bit devoid of Jewishness. It's a great movie, great plot, you know, a lot of good beats there, but not so much explicit Jewishness. But I think the Jewish conversation around this film is there, there's a lot to be said. I know, Rachel, you mentioned you took you, this came up in a whole class that you did on sort of Jewishness of film. So we're going to go through our uh, our rankings of the movie. We generally do that. We give a, a score, one to five Jewish stars. And generally in our discussion before giving that score, we discuss the Jewishness of the themes of the movie, the content, the cast and crew, and anything that might inform our decision. We also have a question about whether this is good or bad for the Jews, which is always an interesting follow-up. Thanks, Gil. Thank you, Gil. So, Rachel, how Jewish would you say it is? I actually think that this movie is quite Jewish, even though there's not overt Jewish characters and Jewish circumstances and Jewish holidays and things that we automatically think of. I think that I would give this a pretty high rating in Jew- in Jewishness. And 
I'll tell you one of the reasons. I think there's a few reasons, but one of the overarching reasons that I would say that is that I read an article from the the Forward. So obviously, Jewish publication, people are questioning the Jewishness of the movie, like Harry mentioned earlier. And Heckerling said in this article that she did not intend for them to be Jewish. That, that, that was not the intention. And later she goes on to explain in this article, and I'll read this as a, a quote, Heckerlin explained that character and writing inspiration often stems from one's surroundings. In my mind, you're always writing versions of people you know. And to me, it felt like I was writing about the daughters of people in show business in LA. And right away, I read that and thought, okay, you're saying you're not writing about Jews. Right, right, right. But you're writing about the daughters of people you as a Jew who are from LA know who work in show business. And I'm sure this has been talked about on this podcast before. I think I've heard you talk about this, just the the Jewish presence in the film industry. I mean, we do own it. So (laughs) (laughs) there is that. Right, (laughs) because we own it. At least that's what they say. And I really think that the, the most Jewish thing about this movie is that is exactly what Amy Heckerling said, that it is a reflection of a population in which Jews have had an outsized influence on their surroundings, um, affecting culture and the way that people talk and the way that people think about things. And that includes all of you know the stereotypes and the, the language and the affectation that we also see. And the language, I mean, she also, and I, I was reading an interview also about Amy Heckerling, and she was talking about how, you know, she cast two of the characters, you know, Murray and Dion, as she kind of, similar to what you're saying, she, she said she had, you know, her Yiddish grandparents in mind when she was writing that and thought it would be hilarious if they were fighting and, you know, sort of kvetching in that same manner and would fight about the, li- like the littlest things and then, you know, make up. And again, it's just, it's so clearly this Jewish sensibility is informing how she's writing it as she's admitted in these interviews, but it's just, it, it comes through. It comes through in how we see these these people. And I just think to the point of like, you know, what her intentions are, because, you know, like we've been saying, there's a lot of interviews about her asking if it's Jewish and she keeps saying she didn't intend it to be Jewish. And we spoke about earlier how, you know, Wallace Shawn is the one who coined the, the name Horowitz and it wasn't intentional, but this definitely, this movie definitely feels to me like a case of not quite regardless of our, of author's intention, because I do think that the intention actually did shape a lot of how it looks, but- sure. Regardless of how Amy Heckerling wants to come down on calling this a Jewish or not movie, I, I think its Jewishness is there. I think it's it's almost undeniable, and I, I definitely think that's shaped by how we're watching it. But I'm happy to say that this piece of art, you know, intended or not, like has taken on a real Jewishness to it, and has become, you know, we we talked about the Jewish American princess, that sure. Jap caricature, and this has become one of the reference points for you know what that that character is, whether that's you know a positive or negative stereotype. I've I've seen it debated in both directions. I mean, obviously, a lot of negative things about casting someone as this, you know, sort of like stuck up, wealthy, you know, not quite aware of her surroundings type character, but it's just all of that is just so clearly coded in here that I, I definitely think that gives its points for Jew- for you know for its Jewishness. And and Rachel, you mentioned you had a couple other points you wanted to mention about, you know, why you think of this as such a Jewish film. When you brought up the for sure the the language, the use of words, right. the affectation that a lot of the characters had. Another Jewish theme, not at all overt, but I think very central, is Chuva. 
Oh, okay. I mean, I mean, there's other ones that I would call stereotypes, right? Tuva is in a separate category. And for those who are not familiar, returning, but returning is in a way of like morally. returning to your, yeah, returning morally, returning to who your true self is and what the, your good parts are, not getting distracted sure, by your sure. bad parts. I mean, Cher goes through a Tuva process in this, and and um, and I love. I brought up before how towards the end. The makeup's off. She's mm, wearing the like, right. normal clothes. She's like returned to herself as a as as a person through doing these good a person who has good intentions, who who is intelligent and who wants to do good things in the world and and realizes that the, the person she loves is Josh, that she's, you know, that she wants to be with a partner that she can be. With. I mean, it's all sort of a, it's a Chuva story. For me, I think one of the themes that jumped out. In addition to like chuva and all the things y'all have mentioned so far, which have been great, I think like tikkun olam or like repairing the world stuck out to me because once she fixes Ty and once she fixes, you know, this person and that person, she then looks, as we said, kind of like beyond her high school and her family and she repairs the world literally like she's going out and, and giving to others in the greater Los Angeles <laughs> beachfront community which, which is, is not, not the most like <laughs> you know it's the first step it's the first step sure sure had to start I mean people need caviar so like that is <laughs> to be commended and skis so and I think you know and, uh, but I think that to me like you know stuck out as like a theme that you know you're for supposed sure. to there's that I'm not going to quote this right go ahead not a rabbi um the the thing where you're supposed to give people sadaka to raise them to the standard that they had been used to. Ah, you don't give two people who were used to a different standard of living. Right. You don't give them the same amount of sadaka. Charity. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. Of charity. You give them, okay. You, and she sure. says like, sure. When she's bringing the skis, her father says, you know, you don't need to bring those skis. And she said, some people lost everything. You know, they have nothing. They might've had skis and she really, exactly. she's operating from that framework. I'll, I'll so maybe she, knew that. She, maybe she knew <laughs> that. Maybe she knew that. There's a lot of Jewishness. I, I didn't think of it thematically so much, but I'll, I'll jump on this stretch. Train. Go for I it. I think what you were talking stretch about. Stretch train. I yeah, love I it. Think, <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> and I think what you were talking about, Rachel, when you were saying like that, you know, this, this chuba, this sort of repentance this coming to like a new person. And you were talking, Daniel, about how she sort of like, you know, she sheds her makeup and her persona a little bit. And yeah. I think that there's there's an, there's an assimilation read, I would almost oh, say, okay. about how like in this school, she has this very fixed idea about how you're supposed to dress, how you're supposed to look. You know, her her machine that's picking out her outfit tells her that she's not wearing a good outfit, like she has to look a certain way. And she's doing it to sort of stand out, fit in. She wants to be part of her, you know, like part of her culture, her society at school. And as she starts to learn who she is and starts to become selfless for the right reasons, she, she sheds a little bit of that. She stops worrying so much about, you know, I would say like, the, the the number of her grades and her status as someone with a license and her you know her popularity within school and kind of embraces you know who she is internally which I think is you know a real like Jewish response to a sort of assimilation you know embrace you know your what's inside you your, your sort of your inner strengths your inner you know Jewishness so to speak whether or not that's what uh, that's what Cher is actually doing in terms of her Jewishness you know we don't see any indication of that but you know just herself and and I'll just throw, tag that along on the stretch train. So, I, yeah, just to add it to the stretch train, I wanted to see if you could help me along on the stretch train and, and sort of figure out what is the Jewishness of of seeing Ty for, like, what she's become and, like, what is the Jewish connection there between, like, Cher seeing what the ugliness of what Ty has become and Cher realizing that she doesn't want to be that and then kind of, like, backing away from it. I'm wondering if there is something there. 
We're digesting this in real time, but yeah, I just, yeah. I, I was thinking about it. I'm like, I mean, there's something about her receiving that sort of externally kind of seeing herself from a, someone else's perspective. I mean, they, you she know? dresses the same tie at a certain point, you know, at this sort of like the worst version of tie is like basically wearing the stockings and the plaid outfit. And she's having the same friends and conversations that Cher would have. And Cher realizes, you know what? This is not for me. Yeah, um, I'm wondering if there is some sort of, Jewish uh, analogy, but if not, I'm happy to get off the stretch train at this stop and you can continue <laughs> might have on. might stretched it a little. <laughs> we went off track. That's that means we're really pushing ourselves. No, yeah, I, mean, yeah. no, I think that, I mean, I do think I don't, I don't have an answer to that, but sure. I do think it is a really interesting point and certainly a pivotal, pivotal moment right. for Cher in her, in her chuva process. I mean, I would yeah. bring it back to that. Yeah. Yeah. No, she sees like the way that she's you know, influencing others that she's pulling them down. And that's like kind of her realization that, you know, her, her brother, Josh, or I guess her brother, I don't want to call him her brother because they end up together, but <laughs> stepbrother. you're making it creepier than it actually yeah. really yeah. is. I mean, it doesn't take brother. that much. <laughs> the movie does that for me, but yeah. her stepbrother, Josh earlier, when she, you know, when she says that she's going to do fixing Ty and he's like, what, you're just going to turn her into one of those sort of shallow stuck up, you know, popularity, right, you right, know, right, kids, right. whatever. And it, it's when she kind of realizes that, you know, oh, he might've been right all right. along. And like, I think you're totally right, Rachel, that that's what really puts her over the edge and, you know, sends her on that Chuba journey. So I have to run to a frat party. I'm going to see the Mighty Mighty Boston's. I'm wondering, what, how do we feel about this to the numbers, you know? Yeah, so Rachel, do you want to sort of quantify some of your thoughts into a number? You know, you spoke, you spoke One about- One to five Jewish stars, yeah. A lot yeah. of the themes, a lot of the, you know, we spoke about the cast, I think, at the top a little bit. A lot of the cast is Jewish. So uh, overall, you know, obviously this isn't an explicitly Jewish movie. So where would that kind of weigh You know, on? I'm kind of torn about it. Because I really stand by what I was saying before that I, I I do think, and I don't think it's part of the stretch train. Like, I do think that it really, it really has some pretty deep Jewish connections. I don't think I can give it a five. Part of me wants to give it a five just because <laughs> I feel like it's infused. I feel like it's just, I feel, hey, like, go for oh, it. I feel like some of the best, I feel like some of the things that, elevate Judaism, you know, or whatever, that we can elevate to say, to be as a reflection of Judaism are not the things that are saying, Jew, 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 you know, yeah, that it's, yeah. that, and I, and I think that this is sort of, I think Clueless is kind of an example of that. I think culturally, the kind of, you know, American Jewish, Los Angeles in particular, 20th century, you, you, you know, where we are in that time, in these stereotypes that are that also have truth to them like the yenta you know the setting up the yenta um the money the competitiveness the do-gooder um you know even josh's kind of bleeding heart liberal-ish mm, kind yeah, of persona yeah. um controlling her father's eating you know oh yeah right we didn't parts, even touch on that yeah um the juice nah <laughs> um so so i, I don't know I, i'm gonna say a four giving it a number because I am held back a little bit. But my my argument is that sometimes the things that are the most Jewish are the things that aren't being explicitly Jewish because then they let like the true, it's sort of the, 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 the true stuff kind of run through without someone trying to put on top of it, you know, stuff. That Yeah, I, I think you just made a really good case, and that's a really interesting perspective. I know when we were recording a, an episode previously, we were talking about uh, another movie and its Jewishness, and 
I think someone called us out for saying, you know, sometimes like you look for the content and it's like if it doesn't have, you know, yarmulkes and, you know, prayer books and you see a lot of those explicit things there, then you might not read it as sort of Jewish. And I mean, content is one of the things that we look at. And I think those are very obvious identifiers of Jewishness. But A, obviously those aren't the own and the Jewish experience is very, very vast. And some people's, you know, entire Jewish experience could look like shares and it not feel, you know, and that can feel just as Jewish to them. And, you know, in one in one respect, I think, you know, that's not the only way to identify the content. But I really like the case you made for even when the content isn't so Jewish, because I'd say I don't think this movie does have such a strong Jewish content. There's something that, you know, carries it, this sort of Jewish sensibility that's undeniably there, the, the cultural influence that it has and the, the Jewishness that I think you argue very you know well that is at the heart of this movie can make it almost feel more Jewish because it's not trying to be Jewish. It just is Jewish to a certain extent. And I, I, I think that there's a lot of truth to that. So, uh, you know, I, I think I just I'm going to run through my my ranking because I want to sort of weigh in. And I think, you know, cast and crew, there's a lot of Jewishness, which is great. You know, Amy Heckerling, we've said enough about her, but she clearly, you know, has not only is Jewish, but came to this with a very Jewish perspective. Content wise, like I said, not the most Jewish, but in this case, I might be willing to overlook that a little bit thematically some stretches. But I think I think that there's some stuff going on there. One of the big questions that's stopping me from giving it such a high review is, you know, how do people not necessarily watching this with such a Jewish lens view this movie? This was something that we discussed with Dirty Dancing because that and that was that had a lot of Jewish content. Like that was a movie that, you know, just to call back to that episode, if you haven't listened to it, but just, you know, has people like a lot of Jews in this Jewish program and they're talking about, you know, Jewish learning and like they're identified as Jews there. And this is, is so not that movie. I mean, there's a movie where the director has denied that there's any Jewishness in it, right. you know, in terms of its content. But I remember our response to that movie was, do people think of Dirty Dancing as the Jewish movie or do they think of it as sort of like the dancing, I had the time in my life, you know, kind of movie and and it was more the latter there. And with this one, you know, there were so many articles that when you typed in the word Jew came up as saying, you know, Jewish icon, you know, Cher Horowitz and how Jewish and whatever, but I didn't see it everywhere. But I don't know. I don't know. As much as I'm like talking myself out of a high ranking, I really did love your argument for that. The Jewishness is just so part of the story. And it's it's so I love that you said that it really is like so powerful because it's not explicitly noted. I'm going to go three and a half, which is my way of saying it's definitely more Jewish than not. You know, it's not the most Jewish we've seen. I think if I gave it something in like the fours or higher, someone might compare it to another movie we've done. That's very Jewish. It's like, you don't if anyone's keeping score. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to keep accurate. I didn't have those things in my mind. In my yeah, mind. Come I'm coming from a different perspective. Yeah, exactly. That's great. We welcome all yeah. perspectives. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, I'm going to give it a three and a half, three and and half. largely because I was convinced by our conversation about the Jewishness, you know, surrounding uh, my and kind of powers of uh, argumentative persuasion <laughs> which ah, is there you go everything's exactly. negotiable there's a lot of my truth. father's an attorney you know ah, so okay. it must be, it must be right, okay, well my father's a litigator so <laughs> <laughs> he's not but you know all right, I'm convinced. I'll give it a four. Okay. But uh, no, I'm going to stick with my three. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. For the record, I will stick with my three. That's math ethics, kid. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Now, before we get into good or bad for the Jews, I want to hear your score, Daniel. Yeah, have, I have mean, you been swayed by us at all? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm, I'm much more like traditional and like whoever gave us that feedback, it's heard. But like a lot of opportunities for Jewish things, you know, at the wedding of Miss Geist and Mr. Hall, was there a chuppah? Was it, did anyone step on glass? No Jewish. Nothing there. Nothing. Missed yeah. opportunity for me. Uh, there was a mezuzah, like we said, but I think that was maybe that they just rented a house from <laughs> someone. <laughs> like, yeah. So that, you know, no, nothing like on 
paper, you know, no one ever, they do call her Cher Horowitz in the film. So it wasn't as if it's like not present in the film. So there's that. She's coded Jewish. This whole Jewish American princess thing, I think is very, it gives, it gives it a lot. And then like the notion of her being selfless towards the end, selfish at the beginning, the tshuva, the, you know, repenting or the returning and the tikkun olam. So that also kicks it up for me. I'm not going to go as high as either of you two. Um, not the four or the three and a half. I think I'm going to go three. Um, more you know, Jewish than not. You know, more Jewish than not, for sure. There's a lot of not Jewish characters in it, but I think that sort of allows our Jewish characters to shine a bit more. You know, in a film like Yentl, where everyone's Jewish, it's kind of hard for the Jewish person to stick out. But because Cher is sort of our lone sort of Jewish character, so to speak, I think, you know, that uh, that gives it a little bit more than that two and a half that I would otherwise give it. But I like all the points that you raised and I uh, I agree with a lot of them, but I'm just not, you know, you can try to persuade me, but I think I'm just going to stick with the three on that. Yeah. And then uh, as far as like good for the Jews, how did you feel about that? Do you think that this film is good for the Jews? It has to follow the question of, is this identifiably Jewish? And I think in the ways that it is identifiably Jewish, maybe to someone that doesn't have the same, you know, cultural sensitivities or isn't looking for the Jewishness, it might be in that characterization of the Jewish American princess. And we, we said we would get into this. We didn't really unpack, you know, the harms, the positive, you know, the positive, the negative outlook on that. But, you know, I think from an outsider's perspective, there are there is something harmful a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I do think that people are probably like if this is your if, if you're reading her as the Jewish char- coded character in the film, you know, obviously she has a really great redemption story, but she doesn't fully shed a lot of the, you know, the sort of like rich daughter and shallowness of the beginning. And even though like her She's learning, not joining the Peace Corps at the end exactly, of the movie. Her yeah. learning right. to be selfless right. with one endeavor is kind of like a small victory on the path towards maybe becoming better. But sure. when you think of this movie, when you remember it, I mean, you remember it in two ways. You remember it for the icon that she's become. You remember it for the, you know, the incredible outfits that she wore. And in some ways, that's like, you know, that's a very positive representation of a Jew. Someone who's very stylish and fashionable and, you know, very popular. But at the same time, you know, she 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 has this sort of bubbliness to her and just, you know, she says daddy a lot and is very whiny. And I mean, she's 16, you know, she's allowed to be young. That's really why it's okay. So all of this sort of arguing in circles has led me to feel actually quite neutral about it, where I think that there's a harmful way you can receive it, you know, and maybe think of like the jappiness of it, so to speak. But if you really watch it and really identify and really fall in love with this movie, you know, she's, I think she's very lovable. And I think ultimately she's, you know, young and misguided and learns a lot. So you know, I think if you paid attention to this movie, for sure, I think it's pretty good. You know, it's neutral. It's pretty good. But uh, if, you, if you're just viewing this from a little bit more of a surface level or you don't remember it so well, but you had remembered seeing it, you might think of it uh, in a little bit more negatively. But I, I think it kind of cancels it out. I, I know that's not the most riveting answer to go neutral, but uh, does anyone want to come in with a more impassioned response? Rachel, do you have any thoughts on it? Well, my one thought, which I, I have not unpacked at all, but just that it really depends on who is watching the movie about whether or not it is good for the Jews. You guys had not seen this movie before. I have not, no. Neither had my husband. So is it only like, you know, teenage girls and women in their maybe 20s who are nostalgically or whatever? I mean, I'm in my 40s, but nostalgically watching it. I mean, who's watching the movie? Are the girls, are the people that are watching the movie fairly well off you know, <laughs> right, people right, right, to right. begin with and therefore maybe it's making a good influence because they're thinking 
Maybe, you know, I don't know. I shouldn't, you know, help out my community. Well, one thing I really love, I have to say, this is not necessarily a Jewish thing. They really become friends with Ty. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like, they take her under her wing. This, yeah. They take her under their wing and she's this outcast, but they kind of end up as equals. Sure. I mean, they end up and and yeah. I was half expecting that trope where you know it's like when a, a group of friends tries to take the dorky kid and make them popular, right. and then there's that moment where the the kid like that they're you know sort of being secretive to finds out and all of a sudden is so betrayed. But like you're saying, I don't think that was this. I think it was more so, mutual. Yeah, and she like I, builds tie up and she comes down and they kind of like meet yeah. each other in the middle. Yeah, I like and, that. And so that stands out from my '90s teen movies sure. in that way. Mm-hmm. And so what I was thinking is. If anyone's identifying subtly, you know, if they're identifying it subtly as a Jewish movie, like it's like they're not really they're like, oh, Cher Horowitz, like that sounds like my friend. So so and so Horowitz, you know, <laughs> right. who happens to be Jewish. And oh, and there's some sort of subtle kind of I think I think it's it could be good for the Jews in that crowd. Right. Fair. Um, which I would think would be the main audience for the movie, but it did kind of have a cult following this movie. I don't know who's watched it, who watches it. Right. Um, so I would end up neutral too, only because I, I, I can't, I can't help but think about who, who the audience is, you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, like I think you're right because it's it's definitely had a cultural resonance for a long time. You know, sure. I, this is the first time I'd seen the movie, but I was very familiar with it as an idea. You know, of Clueless and Alicia Silverstone, and I had seen that iconic, you know, yellow outfit that she wears. And it's wasn't clear- it on the poster doodle that you sent me or whatever that was. Where it was oh yes, if anyone's playing any of those Wordle knockoffs, there's one called Posterdle, which shows movie oh, posters. I'll go check that. And the, my husband would love that one. There's a better oh one God. actually. I guess okay. I'll say this for right. the podcast because they should all know too. Called Framed. Uh-huh. That's really good. That shows you like different like frames from movies. Oh, and, like, nice. movie. It's actually oh, really cool. It's like a it's daily so thing. Obby yeah. likes that stuff. No, no free ads. Um, they didn't pay us for that, but. Yeah, no, but I well, like because you were you were pointing that out because you know the the poster the for Clueless was used for you know yesterday. Yeah, right. Honestly, yesterday. It was very recently. Maybe in celebration of the movie. Yeah, right. Maybe because they also knew it was the uh, anniversary of its release, like we pointed out at the top. But I think that this has, like you're saying, maintained a very cultural resonance, but I'm not sure if the Jewishness of it has penetrated. On that that note, the the reason that I would, that I think there's sort of this weird balance, which Uh makes me feel neutral because I feel, could feel strongly on either way, is that from an assimilation standpoint, right. It's like really not good for the Jews if you're thinking about sure. like like encouraging assimilation and right. you know not having Jewish identity. Obviously, Jewish people who, except for having was on their door, have like no other Jewish right. identity. So that's sort of. Are you not- retracting your answer then? No, no. I'm saying I, I'm uh-huh. saying that it's like I uh-huh. feel like there's like these really bad for the Jews things if you're looking at it sure, at one lens. Sure. And then these like, you know, maybe really good for the Jew thing inside and, and and they're kind of the same thing because having that person who recognizes the Cher Horowitz name and thinks that that's like their friend and that that is cool because they're, I don't know, they're both about assimilation. It's all about assimilation. Right, right, so right, if you're right. looking at it, so maybe it is bad. Maybe it's bad for the Jews if you're looking at it from an assimilationist standpoint. Yeah. All right. So I'm talking myself out of a. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, it looked like yeah. you, were, you were nodding your head along and I was, disagreeing with some yeah, stuff. Yeah. So. I mean, I'm, I'm just, again, going to take the more simplistic approach and just be like, not a lot of people are doing a podcast about this film and looking like so in depth into it. It's just like the, as someone who grew up in LA, it's not a good look, I think, for the Jews 
you have the the Jewish American princess persona. You have the hardworking sort of distant dad who kind of chimes in occasionally. He puts his kids to work on his like lawyery kind of stuff. They're all like wealthy, out of touch with society, giving caviar to like people. I don't know. I don't think it's a great look for the Jews. It's played for humor, like how out of touch they are with the working person. And then they go to the valley and portray it as some sort of distant land. It's like, hey, there's good people there. Okay. So with that, I'll I'll just cut it short. I'll just say, yeah, it's not a great look for the Jews. Yeah. But, fair. Fair. I you think know. between our neutrals and your negative, it's probably not. I have this sort of baggage of as the LA person. Yeah. So like it hits a little bit yeah. harder. And I'm just like, I knew a lot of shares. And like, you know, I think yeah, I think a lot of the look a lot of the things they did, if non-Jews would look at it, it'd be like, it's just not a good look overall, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was embarrassed by stuff like that when I was a teenager. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like I found them, I found it embarrassing, you know? Yeah. So as somebody who was not a share, you know? Uh, Rachel, I wanted to thank you so much for being here on Jews on Film to discuss Clueless. I wanted to ask if you have anything to plug. Mostly I'm really proud of Harry and Daniel uh, for putting, for putting, for putting this together. And and I'm and this is this is a plug. Um, Harry and Daniel met through our growing, thriving Jewish congregation um, here in Northeast Seattle called Merkaz. We have a lot of creativity, lay leadership, passion, real community. And uh, come check us out if you ever are in Seattle. Yeah, we'll put some. We'll put a link to Merkaz Seattle in the show notes. But yeah, check it out, MerkazSeattle.org. Rachel, thank you so much for being here, Harry. This is our this is our get back moment. This is our final rooftop concert. Do you have anything to plug? It is not Thursday night, which is usually when you cook. But I'm wondering, is there anything you'd like to plug from a culinary perspective or otherwise? Yeah. So so Daniel's been asking me this at the end of a couple of our recordings. Rachel and whoever else is listening to this for the first time, and for the first time, I, I did come prepared. Yes. I knew you were going to yes. ask it. I mean, in terms of what I'm cooking for, you know, for for the upcoming Shabbos, like as as you alluded to, this is probably our last time recording together in person. That's why you called it our get bag moment. But we will continue. Don't worry. Future episodes will continue to come out regularly. We'll record over Zoom like we have been. But this might be, you know, because I'm moving out of Seattle very shortly. Uh, for now. For now. For now. But I'll come back. We have an amazing show and an amazing community. But, uh, but what that means is that my apartment is mostly empty and I'm not doing a lot of cooking because all of our cooking utensils are on a moving truck being shipped across the country. Fair. So I can't tell you what I'm going to make this weekend. But I will say that I had a really fun time last night learning how to make pasta for the first time. Okay. And that was really exciting. I was at a shout out to my friends Meredith and Josh. Who, Hi. Uh, have the whole pasta making kit. Wow. We, they, made, little... they made the dough from scratch. I, wow. I learned how to roll out the dough to kind of get it all thin. We made these, uh, we made some dumplings. We made some ravioli. Uh, okay. Was, I was going to ask what you made. And it was really delicious. And uh, I don't know if it's the best. It was my first time ever doing it, but just the culinary adventures continue. I loved learning how to make pasta. So uh, I'd recommend that to anyone who tunes into these, especially if you tune in just to hear the, the brief two minutes of food talk. We, we do see the you end. out there. We know you are exactly. out there. For, for those sure. of you who just skip to the last 30 seconds to hear us talk about food, this one's for you. I encourage you learn how to make <laughs> pasta. It was better than any cook, the pre-cooked pasta I've ever had. So wow, okay. would cool. recommend. And check out our, our new podcast coming up, Jews on Food. Yeah, Jews on Food. That's going to be the spinoff when we run out of films, probably, when, when there's no more Jewish movies. But we also have to do Jews on Broadway. <laughs> yeah, well, right, exactly. We <laughs> and have... then shout out to Brian, who's a, a friend of mine, who has said that he wants to do sort of a watchback podcast where he listens to 
our podcast and that discusses our podcast on his <laughs> podcast called Jews on Jews on Film. <laughs> so on thank you, Brian, for your for your uh, <laughs> constructive uh, feedback on, and I'm looking forward to your podcast. So thank you very much. And uh, you can check us out on Jews on Film on Instagram, on TikTok, and uh, you can get our podcast wherever podcasts are found. And have a great one. I am Audi. Jews on Film is hosted and produced by Daniel Zana and Harry Ottensaucer. Daniel Zana edited this episode. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Jews on Film. And subscribe to our podcast to get new episodes. Thanks for listening.